Good morning, church. It's great to see so many people out. If those at the back want to come in and try and get themselves a seat, Steve will show you around. Uh, if you're new and, and, and don't know where to sit, that's fine. Um, if you all want to stand, we're going to start our service with some praise and worship.
Even when I 
we know that without you we can do nothing God but in you Lord God we know that we have the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ who came who defeated the grave and who rose again Lord as we come around your table we are reminded constantly of your faithfulness to us Lord Morning, church. It's lovely to see you all. Yeah, uh-huh, you're all. Um, just before we come around the table this morning, I just want to share a short thought from Psalm 23. Now, most of you, if not all of you, will know Psalm 23. It's a very well-known psalm, and it's mainly known for being shared at funerals and when people are grieving and people are going through a hard time in life. Um, and it says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing." He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I just said, most of us know that psalm, and it, it speaks of God's protection. The first four verses speak about the protection and the safety we find in the Good Shepherd, who is Jesus. And David shares, when he's going through really tough times, how God is with him, and God brings him through. And that applies to each and every one of us. And we can be so thankful for that. But I just want to look more closely at verses 5 and 6. And verse 5 says, You prepare a table for me, before me in the presence of my enemies. And the tab- table that David's talking about here is a feast that the Lord invites him to. And each and every one of us are invited to that table as well. It shows the lavishness of God's love, his grace and his mercy, that he would invite his people to his table to commune with him and to supply our needs. He wants us to be in his presence. Like when we spend time with our families around the table and we sit and we have fellowship and we talk together. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He desires us to have a relationship with him. And if we think about it, this is the king of kings. There's nobody greater than God. There's nobody greater than our savior. And he wants us to come and sit at his table with him. There's no greater an invitation and it's open to each and every one of us this morning and I've heard lots of people saying oh I'd love to go and have dinner with this person or I'd love to have dinner with that person or when people are invited to the queen you know to have dinner with her but this is God this is there's no one like him and yet we just mere sinners are invited to his table to sit with him and I think it's just important to remember that Sometimes we come to the table and we just do it out of habit and out of ritual. But this is actually a table open to us to sit and commune with the Lord of Lords. It's a table of intimacy. And even with, in the presence of our enemies, with our sin, with our failures, with our fears and our doubts, we're still invited to come and sit with God. And it says there, he invites us in the presence of our enemies. So even though we face trials and things come against us, we can find security at God's table and in his presence because it's in his presence that there is fullness of joy and it's his presence that makes the feast. 
God's, God sets this bread before us in the presence of those who want, us, want to see us fail, those who are against us. But this table proclaims that they can't touch us. So no matter what you're facing today, be it sickness, sin, failure, just know that when God is for you, no one can be against you. And God, at God's table, the enemy is powerless. Our enemies can watch on and see that they have been defeated. And that just leads us on to this table that represents where the table that we're invited to is only possible because Jesus went to the cross and died for us. So just as we come around the Lord's table this morning, just help us to remember whose presence we're in and help us to remember what's been done for us. When Jesus laid down his life so that we could have a relationship with God and the relationship that David speaks of in Psalm 23 where God invites him to his table is only possible for us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And in verse 6, David goes on to say, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we not only have salvation, but we have assurance that we're going to spend eternity with our Saviour and with God. So because of the cross and what Jesus did for us, we not only have fellowship, but we now have God with us for all eternity. The table represents security, provision, grace, mercy, and love. It also represents victory because Jesus defeated Satan, sin, death, and the grave. The wall that separated us from God has been broken down, and we have direct access to the King of Kings. So whatever you need this morning, God has provided it at this table. And I'm just going to read from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If there's somebody this morning who wants to give thanks for the bread. And after the same manner, he also took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. If there's someone who wants to give thanks for the juice this morning.
Father, we thank you this morning for your son, Jesus, who went to the cross and died for each one of us, who took our sins. And Lord, we're forgiven this morning. We thank you that we stand in righteousness only because of what he did. So thank you for his body and his blood, which was shed for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you want to stand as we worship our risen Savior. Church, just before Pastor Ma comes to 
bring the word. There's a few things uh, we want to highlight, some things that are going on. And can I say, first of all, if you're new to our church, you are so welcome. I hope that you got a re- well, I know that you have got a really warm welcome at the door, but we just want to say that um, we're so glad that you're here. You belong here. Your family belongs here. If you have kids, they belong here too. And we actually run a kid's space through our whole service. So when you come through the doors, um, you'll see that the kid's space room um, is on your right-hand side as you come through the door. You can leave your kids in there right until the end of the service, and they'll have their own program. For those kids who are uh, too little for that, and you're worried about them disrupting the service or anything like that, we have a room for for uh, parents and kids as well. That's just out these doors on your left-hand side where you can see and hear everything that goes on in the service. Um, but we simply want to make you aware of that if you would like to use it. Um, yes, tonight uh, we have a 6.30 p.m. service as well where Athena Davis is going to be sharing the words. So we're really excited for that and we encourage you to come along. And on Tuesday night, uh, we carry on with our series on prayer. Um, so this Tuesday night we're looking at answered prayer. Um, if you are a believer, it is so essential that you pray with the church. We really encourage you to come along. We don't make anybody pray out loud. Um, we just gather and we simply pray with each other and we really encourage you to be there Tuesday night at half seven. This Thursday night, kids' church and youth uh, start back. So we start back on Thursday night for the P1s to P7s and then those who are in secondary school. This Thursday night, just keep an eye on social media. That's on the at a glance as well, um, just to inform you. And then the following week then is when uh, mothers and toddlers and Edge and all the other kids' youth stuff then will carry on. Next Sunday, we have Vision Sunday. Um, So this is when Pastor Matt's going to present the vision for the next three years, where we believe God is taking us as a church. And we really, really encourage you to be here. Do whatever you need to do in order to be here that Sunday, because that Sunday morning, the vision will be presented. And then that Sunday night, um, we're going to have an induction service for our newest elder, Michael Totten. So uh, we really encourage you to come along next Sunday, the 4th of September. Um, the following day, the following evening, sorry, uh, Grief Share begins. So Grief Share starts on Monday the 5th of September. Um, for anybody who has suffered loss, if you know somebody who has suffered loss, then um, this group will be incredibly helpful, incredibly beneficial for you, your loved ones, your friends. So we really encourage you, um, if that is you, then uh, please come along. If you want to know any more about that, then see Lydia Sharrett. And if you don't know who that is, come and ask us and we'll point you to her. We'd be more than happy to do that. And finally, we have, last but not least, we have Hope Conference. This is for the ladies. It's happening on Saturday, the 1st of October, um, and it's going to run all day. The price of your ticket includes, it says there, breakfast, lunch, and a donation um, to um, to Action Cancer as well. We really encourage the ladies to come along to this. It will be such It'll be such a good day, and we're really, really excited. This has been years in the making. We were supposed to do this before COVID, so we've had like 
three years to plan it, so it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be a really, really good day. We encourage you to buy a ticket as well for a family member, for a friend. We want to pack this place out um, with ladies that Saturday. You can buy the tickets from the info desk, and you'll see it there just as you go out these doors. It's on your left-hand side. You can pay by cash or card or whatever you want to do. We want to make it as accessible as possible for people to come along to that. So church, could you please join me in welcoming Pastor Matt who's going to come and he's going to bring the word. Thank you, church. Thank you, Reese. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Uh, this is the Sunday before we present the vision uh, next week. Uh, back in 2019, uh, we, we presented the vision term, which is used one word, build. That's what we wanted to do. Then COVID happened, the pandemic, and uh, we carried on doing the work of the church that God had called us to do. Uh, but next Sunday, we're presenting the new vision, uh, what we believe that the Lord has laid on our hearts for the next three years, because uh, we have a job to do as a church. We have a calling as a people of God. Uh, and so this Sunday, I just want to uh, share with you just probably a message that leads into uh, presenting the vision uh, next Sunday because the vision is something we are all part of uh, because we are all part uh, of this church. Uh, way back at the beginning of the year, and, and actually it was the watch night service last year, and uh, I spoke a message uh, to the church that night uh, from Lamentations. Jeremiah sees the destruction of the city, uh, the people uh, have been uh, captured and there's all this trouble, all this uh, difficulties, everything going on, in, uh, everything going on there and I felt God gave me this thought for that that Jeremiah says, um, that simply he says he looks around, he sees all the trouble, the devastation and then, but then he, he recalls to mind the hope that he has. And I took this uh, thought from it, which has stuck with me all year. That God not only keeps his promises, he also keeps his people. Uh, and that's so true. When we say that, that we talk of the promises of God, we will amen it and hallelujah it and all of this. But his promises are tied to his people, that he keeps his people and we are his people. And throughout the Old Testament, even when the challenges and troubles comes... Even when it's their own doing, even when it's their fault, even when they are to blame, uh, God takes care of his people. And we see this in the story we're going to be reading this morning, uh, because the Israelites stand at the beginning of another journey. And the journey is this, they stand, um, they stand at the point of crossing the Jordan, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and God has commanded them and commissioned them in a sense to take possession of the promised land. Uh, Joshua is a leader who we looked at last Sunday. And chapter one, Joshua was given this commission. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Uh, no matter how talented we think we are, no matter how able we think we are, no matter how clever we think we are, uh, that last uh, sentence there is everything we need to do what God has called us to do, which is the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He's then given the command to cross over the Jordan with all the people after 40 years in the wilderness. It was simply now time to move. 
they got settled, and we talked about the settling uh, next uh, last Sunday. But it was now time to move. It was now time to go. It was now time to stop saying, you know, what we have is lovely. What we have is comfortable here, but we're not taking possession of what God has promised us as a people. But the impossible stood before them, because as they looked out, there was a fast-flowing river, swollen with the spring rains and the snow that had melted down from the mountain. And they looked at it and thought to themselves, how do we get across this? How do we actually get across this? There's possibly a million people to get across. This is Joshua's very first job here of leading the people as we see in the verses. And they're looking at this river and thinking to themselves, well, how do they get across? We as a church look at the task before us. It is not an easy world that we live in. We are called to make a difference. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to go and make disciples. And it says no matter how hard the circumstances and situations that people face out there, and what we're called to do, we are still called to do it. We still have to go and do it. Uh, we may look and think, how will we get the job done? But I'm thankful this morning that when I look and I see, uh, particularly in this story, a God who deals in the impossible. He deals in the impossible. And we can expect the impossible because God will step in and do things that we didn't think were possible which is what makes it impossible. So we're going to read the story from Joshua 3, beginning at verse 1, and just this is the whole chapter, uh, just to tell us the story uh, that we're going to glean some lessons from today. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage or during harvest. 
the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on the dry ground. I can see the miracle of God here and some of the lessons that we can get uh, from this. And the first lesson is this that we see this morning, which will help us as we approach the vision next Sunday, is this, is the preparation of the people. It was three days preparation, but it was 40 years of waiting. And God is never early, he's never late, he's always right on time. And so because God always has a plan. And the people are there and they are getting up every morning and they are seeing this rushing river in front of them, remembering that God is telling them that they're going to cross uh, this river. Every morning they're getting up and they're looking at it and thinking, that river's not gone down. It's still fast flowing. I'm going to get swept away when I step into the river. It was rushing past. I'm sure people probably thought of other ways to get across the river, whether they thought, well, maybe we'll build a bridge or, or maybe we'll build a raft or maybe we'll do something. But we have to understand this most important thing at the beginning and what we relate it to in our church is this. This was a spiritual problem, not a feat of human engineering. Because this was an opportunity for God to do a miracle to prove to the people who that he was. When we present the vision next Sunday, what we're looking at is this. It's an opportunity for God to present himself as the one who does the impossible, the one who does the miracles, the one who works through his people here to see people's lives changed out there. You see, the preparation was not only seen that they looked and saw the problem because they can see the problem. They can see the river rushing past. Maybe some people were thinking we could try and swim it. Well, there's a million of them, and they've also got their livestock. Well, it said the rafts or the bill, but the preparation wasn't just in how they got across the river. The preparation was also seen in verse 5, uh, because the people were told to consecrate themselves. They look at that and say, well, what sort of religious word is consecrate themselves? And it's simply this. It's another word for sanctify. It's simply this. Set yourself apart for what God is going to do. We all lead busy lives. We all have lots of things going on. It says we give God the space that we create for him. We give God the time that we create for him. And people say to me they don't have the time. It's usually because their time is taken up with something else. You see here they're told to consecrate themselves, to separate themselves, set themselves apart, sanctify themselves for what God is going to do. You see, it just simply means to sanctify yourself, to separate yourself from the common things, to focus on the Lord. You see, this principle is evident all the way through the Old Testament, that simply what they needed to do was to make sure that they were holy and they were clean before God in a sense, that they were forgiven. And this is why they were told here, listen, make sure you separate yourselves from the other things. You see, what they remembered was this, the previous generation had failed because they'd had a lack of faith. Because when they looked into the promised land, all they saw were giants and said, we'll never take this land. But God wasn't expecting them to take the land. God was taking the land. God was looking for people to work through. 
That's what church is. God is looking for people to work through. If we think we can't do it, we are right. If we think we don't have the strength to do it, we are right. If we think we don't have the wisdom, the talent, the ability to do it, we are right. Because it is God working through each and every one of us to fulfill his purpose, to fulfill what he has called us to do uh, as a church. And it's here that we see this in this story. Because for spiritual victory, we must be willing to separate ourselves from simply those things that sometimes get in the way of what God wants us to do. So we can be set apart for God's purposes in our life. When we present the vision next Sunday, one of the things we're saying to people and challenging them with and asking the question is this, where are you getting involved? What are you going to do? Because we have a desire to see everybody that is in church in, involved and participating in something. Because that's God's plan for your life. That God wants you to be a part of something that he is doing. You see, he was doing it for a reason. Because as they prepared themselves, the impossible problems in their way are not seen as a trial that cannot be overcome. But as a glorious opportunity to see God work. He doesn't give us something to do. Because in a sense we look at it and say, well I can't do that. Often he gives us something to do. Because it's something that we can't do. But it's an opportunity for God to do something. So it's an opportunity to see him work the impossible. Work the miraculous in our lives. Even in our own personal lives this morning. In the challenges and the difficulties that you are facing we can expect God to do the impossible because that's what he does. We can expect him to do the impossible. So the people there were prepared. But the second thing we see is this that helps us. It's the, it's the presence of God. See, during the wilderness wandering, Israel had been guided by the Shekinah glory. They're simply manifested in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This is what was leading them. But there's a change here. Something changes. God introduces a new way, declaring that now they are to be guided by the Ark of the Covenant. You see, there's a verse in verse 3 that simply says, listen, you've never been this way before. Because sometimes that stops the people saying, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. Or you ever know somebody and they sit and they, they've, they've seen the film before you have? Or they've read the book before you have? And then they tell you the ending, oh, I've seen this and this happens at the end. It's like, thanks very much. You know, it's like, that's what people do, isn't it? You know, but here it's a declaration to simply say this. To simply say, you've never been this way before. And there's a truth in that because I haven't. It says only Joshua and Caleb were promised to go into the promised land. But there's also a second part of this, which is the spiritual, which was the presence of God was what was to lead them. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence among the people. These 17 verses is mentioned nine times, representing the presence of God, that which you must look at, that much which you must be led by, that much which you must look to, that which you must follow. You see, it was the priest carrying the ark, the visible representation of God's presence with the people. And he simply was saying this to them. When you see the presence of God, you move towards the promises of God, for you know the power of God is simply at work. 
That's how we see the presence of God. But they're given an instruction concerning the presence of God. They had to keep a thousand yards for two reasons. The first one was this. It was the reverent nature, the holy nature of the Ark of the Covenant. Only the priests could go near it. But the second reason, most importantly, I think, is this. They wanted to make sure everyone had a clear view of the Ark. This was going to be a move of God. So what they needed to do was to keep their eyes on God. The representation of God was the Ark of the Covenant. So it had to be important that all the people could see it. So they're almost saying, listen, you, you go out front. You go out there so we can all see you. And so we know that we're not crossing by some feat of human engineering, by some, something that happens in the weather. This is a miracle of God. And the presence of God that we see represented by the ark just demonstrates that. What do we need more than anything as a church? The presence of God. Oh, we could come up with programs. I could come up with programs. I could come up with sermons. I could just go on the internet, type up what we're going to, some of you think I'll do that, type up what we're preaching on and do that. It says, and all of that, we can do church without the presence of God. We can do church without the power of the Spirit. So none of us want to do that. Why? Because it's essential. It's important. It's that which is of most first importance that we are led by the presence of God. That what God is doing, we are following. That what God is doing, he's leading us as a church to do that. And you see, we see that here in this story. Everyone had to have a clear view of the presence of God. And Joshua is instructing the leaders to follow the Ark of the Covenant. He's gathering the people around. He's got his leaders with him. And he's simply saying, listen, you... Go and tell the people to follow the ark. You go and tell the people to follow the ark. There's no disunity there with the leaders. There's nobody saying, well, I'm not quite sure about this, Joshua. I'm not quite sure we should be doing this. This is the way to go. Everybody is united behind the one common cause, which is to take the possession of the promised land that God has given them. And so he's going round to the leaders saying, tell your people to get ready. Here, this is what we're about. We don't have separate things going on in this church. Every department has the same vision. Every work that goes on in church has the same aim. Everybody has the same thing that God has called them to do. And Joshua is just illustrating that here for us. There is one vision for us as a church. To take the possession of the land that we are in. To see the lives of people in this community change and one for Jesus Christ. That's why we do everything that we do. And you see, he's also saying it for this reason as well. Because as they step into the promised land, we will see. It's almost like saying when trouble comes, keep your eye on the presence of the Lord. When difficulties come, keep your eye on the presence of the Lord. When the hard times come, and they will, keep your eye on the presence of the Lord. When you get into the promised land, and it, the encouragement is to settle. When the encouragement is just to stay where you are and just to do what you're doing, is saying, keep your eye on the presence of the Lord, for it's that that we need more than anything. Set your eyes upon his presence. Walk towards his presence. Follow his presence. For every step is a promise into the possession of the land that God has promised them. See, another aspect of his presence is seen in verse 7. When God says to Joshua this, he says, I will exalt you in the eyes of the people, 
so that they will know that I am with you as I was with Moses. I've been to a lot of uh, spiritual leadership conferences and read lots of spiritual leadership books and done or listened to lots of podcasts and stuff. And as I read this, I realized the most important thing as a church leader is this. The greatest possession any church leader can have is to know God is with him and God is leading him. That's the truth of it. Because notice here, Joshua is not being exalted because of who he is. He is being exalted because of who God is. He says there is a danger in the Christian church today where we are exalting the leaders. We're saying these are special people. These are the people. And what happens is we build them up and then they fall down. And it's dangerous. Listen, we're only exalted because of what God is doing. And we must keep it that way. We must not exalt people because the people are simply the ones that God has chosen to do our work. The minute we get to this point, and sometimes when you go to Christian conferences, they have this room, and it's called the green room. And what they do, they usher off all the special leaders to this room where nobody else can talk to them or do. Reese, Rebecca will tell you, I hate that. I hate that. Because I look at it and I think we're exalting people. And we shouldn't be exalting people. We're exalting God for what God is doing. When we go forward here, we're exalted simply because of who God is. And not because of anything we're doing. Joshua receives this here. Because God says to him, he says, listen, I want to show the people that I'm with you as much as I was with Moses. That's why I'm exalting you. But you know what the key is? When God says, I am with you, that's the key to it all, isn't it? I am with you. Whatever we go and do, we just need to know God is with us. That's what Joshua needed to know. A man or woman is only exalted by God to prove that God is with them. We see Joshua's success depending on and growing out the promise of Joshua 1 verse 8 when it says, His book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Joshua, the word of God on his lips, in his heart, and through his actions. That's really what he needed. Above all else, there wasn't anything else. He had that, the word of God upon his lips, in his heart, and through his actions. See, this is true that a leader takes people where they want to go. A good leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. When next Sunday, when we present the vision, we're taking the people of the church to where they ought to be, where we believe God is leading us and taking us. Because a good leader just simply can just say, listen, we'll stay where we are. As I said last Sunday, church is full. The offering's good. He says, there's work going on. He says, but I believe that God has so much more for us. I believe that our best days are ahead of us. I believe the possession of the land that God is giving us as a church is still there to be taken. So our job is to do that which ought to be done. And so that's what we're going to do because Joshua takes this step of faith. I love that God encourages him all the way. 
God always wants to encourage and help along our faith. But sometimes we have our ears closed to this encouragement. You see, Joshua had obeyed the previous guidance on the faith and understanding of God's word. But then God now gives him more specific instructions. And it brings us to our third point, which is the possession of the land. You see, someone once said this, he says, you will never arrive if you don't set out. Well, the journey of a thousand miles simply begins with one step. I don't say that in the Bible, but it is so true, isn't it? And often we're hesitant to step out. We're hesitant to take that first step. Somebody else said the tragedy of life is not that it ends too soon, but that we wait too long to begin it. I mean, we have to remember here, Joshua is trying to motivate the people to, to move after 40 years. I mean, to motivate. Have you ever had teenagers and try to get them out of bed in the morning? Multiply that by 10. He's motivating the people to move. How hard is that going to be? They can simply say, well, why do, why do we need to move? He says, the provision of God is there. He says, the, the, the protection of God is there. We could actually just stay on this side of the Jordan, watch the river go past and say, you know, it wasn't meant to be, the river's flowing too fast, maybe we don't need to step into the possession of the land and stuff, we're just settled, we're just comfortable. But none of that really matters because it's the promise of, that God has given them to take that possession of the land. Uh, and so they have to do that. It's their job to, to, to move when God tells them to move, to be willing to move and follow him. You see, often at times when we're very much, oh Lord, show me what you want me to do. Lord, give me something to do. You know, Lord, where do I fit in? Uh, and we're a bit like this. Don't ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet. Don't ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet. There was a part that everybody plays. There was something for everybody to do. You see, all the tribes in verse 10 that mentioned all those ites in there, and they had one thing in common, because Joshua said that the living God would be, in a sense, demonstrated among you. Why is he saying that? Because they were going out into a land where everybody was worshipping dead idols and false idols. But Joshua was saying, he's a living God. He's the one that's going to do the miracle to get you across the river. He says, all these gods that are in this land, they're dead gods. They won't do anything for you. You're going to have choices to make when you meet these people, who you follow. And the living God is among you. Not a dull, senseless, lifeless, inactive deity like the gods of the land that they were going into. But a God of life and power and energy able to work for you. What's the message that we have to tell people? There is a living God who is interested in each and every person, whether they come into the church service or whether we go out to do something for them. There is a living God who loves them, who sent their son, Jesus Christ, for them. Because they may, in their life, be involved in things that are like false idols, or they're following addictions, or they're following things that they think give them the purpose in life. And yet we have this tremendous... Uh, tremendous privilege as a church 
to tell people about the living God for he is the one that can change people's lives. That's the possession of the land that we take that these people in this community have an answer. But how are they going to hear it if we don't tell them and we need to tell them? You see here and so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. Even with God's specific guidance and with specific guidance from his word there was still an impressive step of faith for Joshua. Most of the time when it comes to steps of faith, we're put off because we think it's just one big step. Almost like just that large step out to jump, to stretch to something. Yet most of the time in scripture, there's a lot of small steps and this is what we see here in this story. Because we see the different steps of faith here. Because as we move on in our life, uh, as we approach what God is calling us to do, we see the steps of faith that we have to take. See, the first step of faith that they had to take was this. It required waiting and patience. They had to wait until God told them to move. But then the second thing we see, a step of faith recognizes that God sometimes works in new ways. We know sometimes there are different ways to do things and God is both in the old way of doing it and in the new way of doing it. It's not that God is in one way or the other. We recognize that sometimes God works in new ways. The third step of faith that we see means we have to be willing to step out when presented with the opportunity, have to be willing to step out. The people could have said, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to just sit here we're settled. The third, the fourth thing we see is this. A step of faith is an opportunity to be rejected. When we present the vision, there will be people that will say, my heart is lit on fire for doing something for the Lord and I want to be involved. There'll be other people that just say, no, I'm happy sitting. I'm happy settled. We'll throw you out of the church for that. We want you to come be a part of everything we're doing. But when presented with an opportunity... People were then saying, yes, this is what I want to be part of. This is something that God is doing and I want to be a part of it. Other people may turn around and say, well, it's not for me. You know, busy with life and everything else that's going on. I'm not sure I have the time or the, the space or, or the energy to do it. And hey, that's okay. But it teaches us sometimes that a step of faith is both an opportunity to be accepted, but also an opportunity to be rejected as well. And finally, we see the most important thing, that a step of faith is a demonstration of God's power. This miracle was evidence of God's presence, God's promise, and God's power. They sent the priests out and they told them to do this. When your feet touch the water, further up the river, the water will pile up and it will become dry ground where you are. And you will be able to cross. But notice it says almost that step of faith that they had to take as their feet touched the water. The water stopped. God was looking at them for that step of faith. He wasn't simply saying, I'm going to do it all here. He was simply saying, hey, you've got to take some of these steps of faith. You're on this journey as well. And these steps of faith are often a journey. You see, the journey of faith, as I've said, is often small steps. Look at what the priests had to do before the people crossed. As they came to the story, we see they had to take up the ark. That was the first thing they had to do. 
The second thing is I had to lead on from the front. The people weren't going anywhere unless the Ark of the Covenant was out in front of them, unless the leaders had said, we're going first. The third thing is, is go ahead of the people. How will the people know where to go? How will the people know what to do if the leaders don't say, this is what we believe that God has told us to do, to take possession of the land? The fourth thing we do, step into the water. They had to take that other small step of faith. The, the, the final thing was stop and stand still until all have passed. All small steps of faith that just demonstrated the power of God in the miracle that he did to take all these people across the Jordan into the promised land. Joni Erickson Tada said this, says faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into a misty future it is simply taking God at his word and taking the next step that's what we're doing as a church as we come next Sunday and we present the vision to you we're simply taking the next step on the journey for God has given us a calling as this church to reach this community to win people for Jesus Christ and we want to do that you know what we have to do that it's our calling as a church and as a people church is not a club we come to that we enjoy ourselves we are an army of god's people and we're there to reach out into the communities that we live in to see people saved for sometimes it's the christians that need convinced that the gospel still works today because it does still work today. Jesus Christ is still in the business of changing people's lives. He is, honestly, he is. He's in that business. You know what? He uses us. He uses us. He says whether we lead from the front, whether we're the ones that step into the water first, whether we're the ones that go around and tell everybody else, come on, let's be involved. Whether we're involved in different aspects of the work, God uses every single one of us because he says he doesn't care about our ability. He cares about our availability. When we're presented with something to do, are we the ones to surrender and say, God, here I am. Send me. Send me. Will it be easy? No. Will there be trouble? Yes. Will it get messy because we're inviting people to come in and take a seat with the rest of us and these people have got some baggage because we've all got baggage as well. We do. We've all got things that God is working out in our lives. And so we invite people in, give them the opportunity for God to do something in their lives. That is the most important thing, isn't it? Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's stand to our feet. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Father God, we come before you today. Father, stir up our hearts. Stir up, Father, the, the flame within us, Lord. For, Father, the danger with us is we can just say we're settled we're comfortable, we're happy where we are. But God, you have so much more for us as a church. Father, our only inheritance, Lord, the only thing we want to see is people who don't know you 
coming to know you through the salvation of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we come this morning, Father, do what you have to do in our lives. Should it be stir us, Lord? Should it be make us uncomfortable, Lord? Should it be challenge us, Lord? Should it be convict us, Lord? Should it be encourage us, Lord? Lord, you do what you have to do. For Father, we don't just want to be a body of people gathered together. We want to be an army for you. And Father, an army that is ready to go and to win the battles that need to be won. An army that's ready to win the lives of people who don't know you yet. Father God, to see people saved, Father God. To see you make a difference in their lives for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, still works today. It still changes people's lives today. And Father, we come to you as a church and say what you've done in the past, Lord, do it again with us. Father, help us to put, push those things aside that entangle us, that keep us where we are. Lord, set us free so we can run for you today. Father, for we want to be used by you. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.
says your gospel is still alive and it is still sharp and it is still moving God and we have seen you do it and we believe God that we will see you do it again as we take this next step Lord God help us to put our trust and our faith in you in Jesus name